Let me um, start off this morning by asking you a question. Uh, and perhaps, unfortunately, I can't, for those of you in the overflow, I can't hear your feedback on this, but unless you yelled really loud, but don't do that because it's a 12-second delay and we'll go, anyway. Um, but how would you describe this last year gone, 2020? Can we, give me some words. Challenging, yeah? Tedious, Tedious? okay, yeah. Different, yeah, yeah, you could say that. A blessing. A blessing, yeah, okay, yeah. Tell so. Yeah. I had a lot more time to spend reading God's word. Yeah, yeah, okay. You get you get extra points for that. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people that that'd be the case for some people, yeah. Yeah. Well it's interesting, you know, um gosh, this last year obviously I, I think this is not new news. There was a pandemic. Did every did everybody know that? Um and um, there's actually been political turmoil going on throughout the, did, did anyone, am I, uh, no, yes? Uh, is, this, is that new news to anybody? Um, there's been riots in some of the first world nations and there's been towns burned to the ground. There's been conspiracy theories left, right, and center. Um, churches haven't been able to meet. Thankfully, we, though, the, kind of awkwardly with masks on and spread out and all that stuff. We're small enough we've been able to meet, but there's, there's plenty of good Bible teaching churches that just frankly haven't been able to gather. Um, there's churches um, that have gathered and have been fined for it every week, right? And so, gosh, I don't think, you know, even the, even the naive optimist out there, even the humanist has to admit this has been a bit of a stitch up of, a, of the last year, right? This has not been the greatest of years. Um, and we're, I think it's quite obvious being, and, and I don't even mean this just when I talk about ideologies, be it um, you know, people way on the left or people way on the right, um, that we live in a divided world, right? Uh, we live in a very divided world. And, and because of that, well, look, it, it's a bit unnerving. So, what better time to gather together as God's people around his word to give us eyes to see and ears to hear about what's really going on in this world? You know, that's what this book does. It's amazing. And there's something special when God's word is preached and his people are gathered, the Lord speaks through his written word, empowered by his spirit. And I, I tell you, it's amazing to me to watch any set of news, to watch any global pandemic or political unrest or whatever it might be, and you can grab the Bible and it just, it's, it's not out of date. It's not like this archaic, random, antiquated book that we should just shelve. This, it speaks exactly to our world today. I mean, we live in a divided world where we have wheat and tares growing amongst each other. Different worldviews clashing going on right now. You know, and as Christians... We should expect this. We shouldn't be shocked when we see evil all around us. But, take heart, friend. The truth will out. So as Christians, we should expect evil. But take heart. The truth will out. That's exactly what this parable is about today when you try to boil it down. So point one, Christians should expect evil in this world. But take heart, fear not. The truth will out. That's where we're headed as we unpack the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat 
and the weeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this parable would spare us from discouragement, fill our minds with spiritual reality, and strengthen us for the thrilling work of serving you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been studying Jesus' parables in Matthew 13. It's interesting, the word parable is, well, let me, you guys were, you guys were actually doing pretty well giving me some feedback there. Uh, how, give me, when you hear parable, you think, fill in the blank, give me a word. Story, Story? good. Parable means? Outside, outside group, come on. An example, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. You know, yeah, metaphor, symbol, yeah. You know, the, the word itself is interesting because um, a moral, yeah, interesting though. Um, can I push on that? Because some people have that idea. I'm not trying to pick on Harriet, but maybe when you hear a parable, you think like Aesop's fables. Except here's the, like, you know, Aesop's fables. Does everyone know that? tortoise in the hair, so be patient, the slow and steady wins, wins the race, right? But, but what do you do with like, say Luke 16, when you've got a guy who's a thief <laughs> and he's a shrewd manager, and, and so the moral of the lesson is, kids, be dishonest in your dealings and be a thief. So it's, it's actually, parables are tricky because they're not, they're not so much, there is uh, spiritual truth in it, right? But it's not like Aesop's fables. It's interesting, the, the, the word parable itself, and when you look at uh, in your Bible, it'll say parable, right? Um, I think all translations, be it ESV, or NIV, or NAS, or King James, or whatever, should say parable. You know what's funny? Uh, so, if, if you don't know, you've got, uh, you know, I think it's 78 0.9% of the Bible written in Hebrew, that's the Old Testament, and the rest is Greek. You've got 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Okay, so in the New Testament, that's originally written in Greek, the Greek language, what's called Koine Greek. Okay, the word parable there, when the translators get to that, they didn't quite know how to translate it. You still tracking with me? So, so in other words, you guys all threw, threw out, uh, Sally said metaphor, April said story, you guys hear, so, so okay, so how do we translate the darn thing, right? Like what do we do with this word? And guess what, in Greek, do you know what the Greek word for parable is, ready? This is, this is, it's like they cheated, parabole. So in other words, it's called a transliteration. What you do is you take what the word sounds like and then you just insert in Greek. Sorry, inserted English. So it's kind of funny. For instance, have you heard of the Magi? So in Greek, it, they're called Magoi. Now, they were probably some kind of astrologers from Babylon or Persia. Or we're not really sure where. But no one knows who they were, right? So they don't insert astrologer. Or they don't insert, you know, scientists or, or you know, whatever. So they don't know what to do. So they go, ah, uh, Magi. Magoi, magi, that's for, yeah, that, that, that'll work. It's the same thing with a parable. That, that, that's what a parable, so in Greek, if, if I, I'm not gonna pull it up here because it would be, it's all Greek to you, right? But in Greek, it just would say parabole. So you hear it, right? Parabole, parable. Now, why do I hassle with sharing all that with you? Because when you sometimes study a word, it's actually not going to suffice to really give you the brass tacks of what it means. In other words, the word itself, para, to put alongside, to place, um, that's kind of what a parable means. It's to throw alongside, like, like two objects, right? Uh, I love the Aussie phrase, chalk and cheese, right? That's, that's a parable in a way, right? It's not chalk, it's cheese. They look kind of similar, but they're different, right? Uh, or you could take two worldviews. We just didn't mention it either. Uh, you know, you've got the Democrats and Republicans, the liberal, the labor party, 
you've got QAnon and BLM and <laughs> all these other things going on. And, and those are different worldview points, correct? So, so that's a way to throw them alongside each other side by side and, and to compare and contrast them. That's the basic word idea of parable. You still tracking with me? So the trick though is just getting, just when I tell you parable means this, like going from Greek to English, it doesn't really answer the question because parable is, it's broad. In other words, um, a parable can function like a proverb or even like a riddle. Um, some have said, how many of you heard this? Parables are like uh, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Have you heard that before? Parables are earthly stories with heavenly I mean, this is true to a point, but parables are much more than illustrations about the future. Uh, not to mention most parables are directly to the here and now and not simply the afterlife. Did you catch what I'm saying? So it's not just uh, uh, some vague sort of story with some kind of esoteric uh, meaning out there, some spiritual meaning. Perhaps then it's better to say that a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. That, that, kind of narrow, that kind of broadens it out more. They're stories with intent, in other words. And here's the deal. Not only are they stories with intent, meaning Jesus had an intention. Jesus is, he's not just telling you like Aesop's fables, but he's, he's, he's showing those with eyes to see and ears to hear. This is, this is the truth of reality. This is how the life is. But even the gospel writers themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the way that they structured their books is specific. So for Matthew, we finally get the word parabole in chapter 13. But, but, has, trick question, has Matthew already recorded Jesus using a parable prior to chapter 13? Yes or no? Yes, where? That's, you don't feel silly. I, but he gives, how about in the end of the Sermon on the Mount? It's like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came, the winds, you know, that, that's parable, right? But he didn't use the word parabole there. Now, okay, well, fine. So, but then why does he use the word? Why does he really focus in on chapter 13? What's his intention there? Remember after the Sermon on the Mount that people are gobsmacked by Jesus' authority? He taught as one who had authority? And not everyone thinks that though. In fact, there's various responses to Jesus. We've talked about this. Some people say, I'll follow you anywhere. But first let me go, you know, bury my dad and let me get the, the inheritance. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. And other people follow Jesus gladly and, and other people don't. And some people oppose him. There's all of these different responses to Jesus, right? That's why Matthew sets up chapter 13 the way he does. What he's doing is, what these parables are, here in chapter 13, I'm excited about this. I don't know if y'all, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just. Because it forces you to do this. It's, like, it's, it's, it's a good, well-written book. It, it helps you to think about what's happened. So sort of look in the rearview mirror and go, oh yeah, I remember why all these Jews reject, rejected their Messiah. That's right, that bloke, and even the Pharisees hated Jesus, and da-da-da-da-da, right? So it helps you to look backwards and say, ah, the people that responded poorly were like, they were like different types of soils. Some got excited for a second and then phased out, right? Some were apathetic. Some lasted a short while, but the others are really growing, and they're following Jesus. So it helps you to look backwards, but then it also helps you to look forward. What I mean by that is, if you, like the disciples, would like to share this amazing message about Jesus, get ready to be disappointed about people's reactions to it. I, I mean, have you ever tried to win someone over to the gospel and have them be indifferent to it? Well, that's quite shocking, isn't it? It's a bit jarring. What's going on? Well, remember, remember, your job is to scatter the seeds. 
God is the one that causes growth. God is the one that opens ears and eyes. But, but it's very discouraging. I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I was one of those wide-eyed, you know, bushy-tailed, I thought my whole high school was gonna come to know Jesus. I was convinced, seriously. Um, because it, it's the answer to, wh- why, do you think, why do you think people were living the way they were? Why do you think people were filling their lives with drugs or sex or pride or sport or all these things? Because they're created to know God and enjoy him forever. They didn't know God. They didn't hear this message. They needed to hear that the God who created them is meant to be worshipped by them and to be in, in fellowship with them, hence all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at the point in almost l- quite literally where I'm shaking people. I'm so, I'm so enthusiastic about this. My gr- grade 12, I, I'm, in, I'm in high school, and I, 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 I got a shirt that said, drug-free for Christ, right? And on the back it said, reverence through discipline, you know? And, and, and I wanted everybody to know, because I was the antagonistic rat bag who just, just had an axe to grind against Christians. And I wanted everyone to know, hey, look, drug-free for Christ. I, I, I take, so ghetto, but I take just white T-shirts and ask, write on, ask me what I believe, you know? Write it in Sharpie. And people, oh, what do you believe? I'm gonna tell you what I believe. And, I, and in my head, I was convinced that, it, you know, different times and different stages, but before I graduate, I'm gonna look out on graduation day and everyone there is gonna be a Christian. Honestly. Because why wouldn't they? Yeah, I, look at their life. It's a wreck. They, they'll admit that. They, they're not satisfied. They're not fulfilled. They're not happy. They know that. So then... Why not turn to Christ? God's created them. They're accountable to him for their sin. There's hope, forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Man, and guess what? Some friends did though. Some friends did. My friend Damien just had a radical transformation. Other guys had, uh, one guy was the main drug dealer in our, in our high school, heard the gospel. And he got in our yearbook. Do you guys do yearbooks here? He got in our yearbook, most changed since grade nine. And, and in the picture, because there's a picture, he's holding up a Bible. <laughs> it's amazing. He was, he was the drug dealer. And he was, he was a big dude, so he was also a strong arm and a drug dealer, like double bad, right? And, and this guy was a Christian, still a Christian, still walking with Jesus. He was in my wedding party. He was one of my bucks or groomsmen or whatever you call him. Right? So why wouldn't everyone respond like him? I mean, what's going on here? I was completely shocked. I, I, still, I still have probably a bit naive thinking that it's, oh, I was walking around Aaron Affair yesterday. And I was thinking, well, the problem with these people is they just haven't heard. Right? That if they hear, they'll turn. Honestly, like I, 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 because to me, it just doesn't make any cohesive sense why you wouldn't. But many people can hear and go, nah, yeah, nah, don't want it, no thanks. And it can be extremely discouraging. But that's the way the world is, friends. And that's the way the world will be to the very end And many of those that are soothing themselves now through alcohol, drugs, surfing, fill in the blank, will be shocked when all of that is over. See, the truth will out eventually. And that's what Jesus gets at here. Let's let's jump into it. Let's take a closer look at this parable to get the idea. He gives again this, this farming story an agricultural parable in verse 25 of Matthew 13. He says, um, he put before them another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
So there, there we have it again. This, this, you've got this gardening practice going on. Wouldn't have been unfamiliar to those standing around listening to Jesus. Remember, where's Jesus sitting in a boat? He's teaching. So those that are hearing it, uh, in, in terms of just the basic principles themselves, they would have said, yep. And you've got a sower, and what is he doing? He's got some quality seed in his pocket. He's got some servants. And as you'd expect, what does he ask them to do? And he might help them, he might not, but he goes to, he gets at it, right? He starts planting. Then after a hard day's work, as most farmers do, they're exhausted, they go to sleep. That's right. Seems pretty normal, right? Okay, so far so good. But then, but then the music shifts in this parable. Dun, dun, dun. An enemy shows up. All of a sudden, you've got this shady fellow who creeps into this man's garden and plants something in it. And what is it? Weeds. I heard weeds. That means most of you have my modern translation. Those of you who grew up in the King James, it would be the tares, right? The wheat and the tares. Interesting. Um, Matthew uses this word here, but it's actually the word weed or wheat. It's actually not used anywhere else in scripture, but here. So, well, Matthew uses it again, but Matthew's the only one who uses this phrase, this plant. Um, You could label it, you guys said weed. You could label a a weed, as many translations do. That's fine, because it's likely a type of what's called ryegrass. Um, Whatever you decide to call the thing, this plant was really terrible. It was actually a poisonous plant. But here's the deal. It grew alongside, I had a PowerPoint and it just dawned on me. I didn't give it to you guys in the back, sorry. So if you can see up here, (laughs) I don't have it. Oops, that's what happens when you have four kids. But um, so you can imagine it this way. It's, uh, well, I do have this thanks to Rob Rich. Aha, wheat, okay? So if you can imagine, I'm not a farmer. I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm some expert, you know, horticultologist or cordigist, or I don't even know how to say it, botanist, whatever, who cares? So, thank you. You can imagine what was so nasty about this particular weed is it, um, you couldn't distinguish the real from the weed. Does that make sense? And it actually grew and intertwined itself. And you wouldn't know until harvest time, oh, Wait a second here, uh, sown in amongst us, there's actually darnel, if you want to call it, or this ryegrass, this, this, this weed, this tear. But by that time, potentially, you've lost your whole crop, right? Because some <laughs> rat pack did uh, some, uh, some bioterrorism, some agricultural sabotage on you, Right? And you realize, oh, what am I going to do? And that's exactly what the servants do. The servants are, are shocked, right? They, they, they see this and they go, oh my goodness. Look, look here again, if you're following along. But while the, his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, notice it has to get all the way to that place of bearing grain. Then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have these weeds, right? The servants never saw this coming. Sure, every crop would have a number of weeds in it, no matter how well you took care of it. That's not what shocks these guys. It was the amount of weeds. It was the ratio of weeds to wheat. That's why they go back to their master, their Lord, and they say, uh, uh, sir, you, you, you gave us good seed, didn't you? <laughs> to which he replies, yeah, yeah. The seed I gave you was fine. This was a sinister act by an enemy. Somebody has deliberately planted these. You see that in verse 28? He knows. 
An enemy's done this. Again, this was some kind of bioterrorism. This was agricultural sabotage. Um, it was actually illegal to do, according to Roman law, to plant weeds amongst wheat. Now, okay, there's some history behind it, but, but that is his response. It's, it's a bit bizarre. Because what they say is they go, well, look, do you want to take care of that? And he says, nah. Nah, don't, don't worry about it. Just let them both grow together side by side. Then at harvest, I'll hire some specialists and they'll come and get it sorted for us. <laughs> the end. <laughs> like, okay, Jesus, that's a pretty random story. And I mean, that might give some nice principles about farming, but uh, hold on. How does this relate to your kingdom? How does this relate to your church? How does this relate to the world that we live in again? Have you ever sat in a classroom before and the teacher is trying, is giving a lecture and you're a bit lost? You have the foggiest idea what he or she is saying, but you feel, you don't want to look stupid. You don't want to raise your hand. You, you feel shy or embarrassed or whatever. And one person goes, I don't get it. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. And the question they ask is exactly what you were thinking. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad, you know, so-and-so in the front had the nerve to ask. And then the teacher says, this is what I mean. You go, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. That's essentially what we see in verse 36. You see verse 30, 30 look what it says. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came and said to him, uh, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. Now, before we jump to verse 37, it's all too easy to get mixed up and confused here. For one, we just skipped over two little mini parables, but I want Jesus' explanation of it first. Now, now why, why do I say it's all too easy to get mixed up and confused here, right? Because fair enough, you've got the guy that sowed, the, you know, the, the dodgy fellow that sowed the, the weeds amongst the wheat, and okay, fair enough, and you've got... You've got the hired hands and the servants and you've got the master. That was somewhat easy to track with. All right, I'm following you, Jesus. Until you get to the next following verses and he goes, now, this was what the sower represents and this is what the field means and, 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 and the harvest represents this and that and, and you've got like seven different things going on and you're going, wait, wait, wait. The, the, the guys that show up represent the uh, the. The Labor Party? No, sorry. Uh, the people that show up are the Liberal Party? No, that's no, not politics, sorry. The, the people that show up are the, the devil? No, no, wait, the devil's the one who did the, ah! And just becomes sort of a muddled mess in your head. And by the time you get through it all, you're, you're, you're having the foggiest idea of what's going on here. So how do we prevent that then, right? How do we not get lost in a sea of allegory? Well, I think the way we can do that is by focusing on just one, one of these metaphors that Jesus uses. So here's what we're gonna do, and I need your help. I'm gonna ask you what you think, and you can't cheat, by the way. Don't look down on your Bibles, and that's cheating. So if you look down, if you see someone cheating next to you, report them, okay? So how, what do you think Jesus means by this first image? Again, don't look at your Bible, don't cheating. When he talks about the field, in the field you've got both weeds and tares growing side by side. You've got a mixture, right? What do you think that means? Is, does that refer to the church? Or does that refer to the world? The world? But he says the kingdom, do you see the kingdom language there? So wait a minute, the world's the kingdom of God? Oh, this is fun. And do you guys think that you're smarter than Augustine? Because Augustine believed this to be true. I mean, sure, in large part, he was responding to this, this sort of trigger-happy excommunication church group so Augustine was like, oh, 
sort of as, as his heart of compassion was like, you guys are too trigger happy to excommunicate everyone out of your church. And that then shaded his way of, colored his way of, of reading this text. And he goes, well, it must be the church. Okay, you guys all said the world. Isn't the church a mixed bag? Don't we have Christians and non-Christians guaranteed sitting here? Say yes, yes, okay. So why is it not the church? Why is it not the church? Why is it the world then? Give me some feedback. When he explained it, he's explain, uh, just to his disciples. You see that in verse 36? Then he left the crowds. Yeah. So wait, are you saying, Sally, then that I'm trying to make sense with, are you saying therefore it is the church sort of thing? Or is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It's, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, <laughs> all right. I'll, no, no, no. Yeah, I appreciate your, you know, everyone else is just staring at me. So I, I appreciate your, <laughs> I, I appreciate your feedback. So, so I, I, I suppose, well, let's just see it. Cause I said, don't cheat. Look at verse 38. The field is what? The world. The world. <laughs> I I set you up for that, right? And Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't conflate kingdom and church, does he? In other words, the kingdom of God is his universal rule that's happening, and he has his special people, his covenant people, the church. They're actually, but they're two separate categories. He doesn't actually blend the two. So what's Jesus saying to them then? He's giving us an explanation for the Yeah, so that would be a good argument on the other side to say it's the church because you've got Jesus' disciples and you have weed amongst wheat. And certainly that's true. I think here, I probably, you know... <laughs> I, uh, thank you, that's actually really helpful. I probably bang this drum a lot, but I'm constantly drilling, do you know Christ, right? Just because you're here, you could still be a weed, right? You, you've hear, you hear this from your pastor a lot, okay? Because the reality is, why? Because I'm a meanie and I like making people feel bad. <laughs> no, no, be- because I, if you just even think about it, you had Judas like right there. I mean, people would have been like, oh, Judas, look at him. And he's managing the money, right? Like he's, he's a great guy. Look at his, look at, he's just, he's, he's, he's so, he's such a good steward with the money and he says all the right things and he's always around Jesus. So principle, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he says it's the world, but even within the local church, You've got weeds amongst the wheat here, don't you? We've got people here at Wyoming Church of Christ, here and in the overflow right now, that are weeds sown amongst the wheat. But what's interesting, though, is if you then make it church, it actually runs, it contradicts what he says in Matthew 16, 17, and 18, because in Matthew 16, 17, and 18, he's talking about church discipline. So there is a form of actually separation there and excommunication. So if it makes it the church, it runs counter to his vision. First of all, he doesn't conflate kingdom and church. Second, he, it would actually run counterintuitive. And that's what Augustine said, by the way. Augustine said, oh, you can't excommunicate people out of the church. You can't do church discipline because this passage right here but that runs against all of Matthew 16, 17, and 18. Now, it would sure be a heck of a lot easier if we eventually get to the place where we never do church discipline in this church of any form. Be a whole lot easier than then just to sort of proof text us and say, hey, Jesus said, don't separate the wheat from the tares. So that's what we're doing. Just keep reading though in the gospel of Matthew, Right? Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, bring two or three witnesses. And if they don't, listen, tell it to the who? Church. 
church. And if he doesn't listen, treat him as you would an unbeliever. And, and later, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he talks about those inside the church and those outside the church. So how can you distinguish who is inside the church and those who are outside of the church? Well, unless you have some general form of membership and discipline, those two going hand in glove together. Huge subjects there that we will continue to explore as a church, but let's get back to our text. So what he's doing is he's giving us an explanation. Let's go back here to verse 38. Poor Sally, she got, this. that was a stitch up. She tried throwing herself out there and we all just, you know. So it says, the field is the world. Notice, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Now, I think what he's doing here is he's giving us an explanation for the state of the world. Remember, go back to my introduction. Right? We've got evil going all around us, blah, blah, blah. It's a picture of the world that we live in. Christians and non-Christians living together side by side. Because the truth is, there will always be different responses to the gospel. Tomorrow, next month, and all the way until Jesus returns. Again, as I shared a little bit of my own story, I struggle with that. I still struggle with that. Because we live in a spiritually divided world, though. That's the reality. And if that's the case, we shouldn't be surprised when we look around and see evil. Christians should expect to see evil in this world. People who seem to be, and Knowles helped me with this, just pe- people who seem to be the real deal, <sighs> people who are sitting here right now won't be here in a year or two or out there and they won't be in church somewhere. I don't know who they are, and I don't say that in a glib, happy way at all. That breaks my heart. I don't think it's the masses, but there are people sitting here amongst us now who won't be in this church or any church. That's just, all you gotta do is sit around church life long enough and you see this happen. It's awful, but that's what we should expect, friends. I mean, you could blame the pastor if you want. People have done that already. It's fine. Here, chew on my arm. I don't care. But ask yourself, okay, so. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I I said, chew on my arm. So, yes. Thank you for asking me to say that, Carrie Ann. My point was, Carrie Ann, I was trying to say, is that. Expect to see evil, expect to see people to even leave this church. And look, some people have left here because they have to get their nose out of joint with me. Fair enough, fine. But if they're at a good gospel church, that's okay, actually. I, 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 that's fine, I want them at a good gospel church. If they're at no church, well, then we've got a problem, don't we? That's the point I was trying to make. Um, and it's sad. It's, it's terribly sad. So what else should we expect to see, though? Well, we should also expect to see false teachers, right? For the time is coming when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn aside from the truth. They'll turn to myths. We should expect that to happen. We should even expect, and this is what's, look, this one's a hard one for me. It is. We should expect high-profile Christian leaders to fall. That, that, one's, that one's a real gut punch to me. And, and that's a, it's a real lesson as well, and it's all the, all the above, but there, there's even been some news that's come out against some Christian apologists in the last couple of weeks that's just awful. Good man that... that, that that was a brilliant guy, defended the faith, left, right, and center, all kinds of sexual allegations against him. He's, he's dead now. Just horrific, right? What's going on? And what's up with these high-profile Christians? I mean, I just, I'm just shocked. April and I were at a wonderful church in Louisville, Kentucky, where this youth pastor was there, he was gregarious, he was solid, 
he wasn't just like, you know, the green-haired, you know, immature guy that we hired because he's 20 and he can connect with youth. Um, that was a quick rant on youth pastors. He, he, was, he was actually a solid godly guy and, and just unbeknownst to this whole church was cheating on his wife. I was just, what's going on here? So, but, but we should expect to see that, Jesus is saying. In the world, we should expect to see this. That's why Paul warns Timothy. He says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty for people will be, listen, lovers of self. Is that, is, that, is that the last days, maybe in like a year or two from now, or would you say that's about now? Any narcissistic people? Yeah, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. It's an interesting word, meaning you can't pacify them. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now listen to this. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Wow, that sounds an awful light like wheat among the tares, doesn't it? Having the appearance of godliness of the real deal. This will never stop, friends. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but until Jesus returns, we will see high profile leaders going down in a ball of flames. We will see Christians that, or people that we thought were Christians denying the faith, leaving the church. We will see all kinds of horrific things happening in this world. We should expect that. We cannot eradicate it too, by the way. Do you understand? We can't be, you know, uh, ethical crusaders that are going to sort of smear out every sort of form of sin in this world. We can't tear, we can't pull up the weeds with the wheat. It's not even our job, right? So we should expect a level of evil, but take heart, friend. There is a final day of reckoning that's coming. The truth will out. Jesus described it as a harvest. So given the conditions, even the way that Paul talks there to Timothy, right? Heartless, faithless, ruthless, you know, all, all these things, you go, whoa, gee. I mean, that, that might cause you a bit of despair. But that's why we need to rest in verse 40. Look what he says. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all cases of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I hope you catch the horrible imagery of what hell is going to be like. I know that people think that that's just a bizarre sort of soothing of your own self to think that you're escaping some fires of hell. But, but if we understand, if you're in Christ, hell is a real place. There, there, it's loud. You hear that? Weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's hot. Hell is a real place for those who are tares, those who reject Christ. It might seem like they get away with murder. And in this world, they might, by the way. but there is final judgment coming. There was a high profile figure who was just a really awful guy doing a lot of sex trafficking over in the States who, who went to, he got caught, he went to jail, but he killed himself in jail, okay? And you know what everyone said? Oh, justice wasn't served. It will be, <laughs> it will be. And it's much greater than the hashtag me too movement can try to put on him, okay? This is eternal judgment from God himself. Now, reverse that though. For those of you that are in Christ. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Wow, what a day. What a day that will be. When there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. 
All of history is headed to that end. But you do have two types of plant there, don't you? You have wheat and you have weeds. You know what the glorious thing is, friend? Is that all of us, metaphorically speaking, are born into this world like like tares, like weeds. And God flips our whole universe. He removes a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He causes us to be born again. Hallelujah. (laughs) And you know, the confidence we can have is if God is sovereign over that, if he's the one who gives ears to hear and eyes to see, when we share the gospel with our friends and loved ones, we can know that God is sovereign. He's in control. And for those of us that feel the angst of living in this world where there's pain, rape, incest, disease, suffering, cancer, all of these things that are horrific, we can know that though the Lord has not returned yet, we can still have hope. And why is that? Because there are still some tares out there that have yet to become wheat. You know, it's easy for us to be on the other side of the cross, so to speak, and say, come on, Lord Jesus. Hurry up and get on with it. Come now. But what if that happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 40 years ago? The point is, what if that happened before you were a Christian and you would be gathered up and burnt forever? So when we feel the angst, We should not consider his promise slow as some consider slowness, but not wanting any to perish as 1 Peter 3 says. We should be reminded that there are people, some of your friends, some of your family members that will turn to Christ. We know some won't, but some will. That, to see how that gives you perspective of not only this world, but in the next to come, You see how responding to Jesus not only affects this world, but the next? You know, in closing, can I ask you a theological question? I've already asked you a lot of questions and people saw what happened to Sally and they're like, I'm not answering any questions. All right? But let me me end by this. Let me ask you a theological question. Um, It's under the category of what's called eschatology, right? The end. The end. Did Did you hear that? So, do you believe that one day, one day we don't know when, but one day God will judge all of humanity? Do you believe that? Yes. Well, I guess it's just right there. That's really going to be your heart if you're going to submit to the like, authority of Scripture, right? But if you believe this, do you see how that should color the way that you're viewing the current world around you, that we should expect a level of sin? but that at the same time, we're looking forward to like Jesus' second return. So, that said, how many of you have, uh, 20 years ago, a book was written called uh, Atonement? Have you heard of that book before? It was made into a movie? Yes? No? So, there's one guy who, uh, his, his name is Ian McEwen, And it's interesting because this is how the world thinks. Ian McEwen looks at people like us because we all just said, you know, I asked you the question, do you believe that, you know, on some level it would be judgment and we all go, yes, 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 yes. Ian McEwen says, ooh, people like you are dangerous. People like you make me feel uncomfortable. Why? Because you guys will do radical things in the name of your religion and you'll make choices now that are nonsensical in his mind. Yeah, back in 2008 in The Guardian, a Brit- famous British newspaper, he had two articles on this. Just fascinating stuff. But you see, the world looks at this eschatology where all of humanity, and the world goes, that's crazy talk. That's like David Koresh type stuff, right? <laughs> that's wacko stuff. 
Waco wacko stuff. Because the man without the spirit cannot accept the things of the spirit, their foolishness to him. So what do we have to do? Pray that the Lord would open their eyes. Pray that God would open their eyes. They're blind. And we can trust that he who has ears to hear will hear because God is in control of that. What's our job? I've been saying this the last few weeks. Our job is to be faithful to the message, not adapt it, not sugarcoat it, but to be faithful to preach the gospel. So friend, when you look around and you see evil this week, don't let that overtake you. Who knows what will happen, by the way? Who knows if there'll be another riot happening or some other crazy group doing gosh knows what? Who knows if there's a, a big outbreak of, again, of COVID or the second strain of it or whatever? We don't know, do we? But if all of that happens, and we, who knows what? We should expect that, but don't despair. Don't despair over that. Don't be short-sighted. Be bigger, think big picture here that this is part of living in a fallen world that one day, one day will be in the new heavens and new earth where there'll be no more tears. So are you a wheat? Are you a weed? Ask yourself that. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, we pray that as your word has gone out, that it would not return to you void. We thank you and we can bank on that promise as your word says. We pray that as we digest this for as individuals and our thoughts this week, Lord, would it shape us? We pray that as we discuss this in growth groups and amongst friends here at this church or over the phone, we pray that you'd continue, Lord, that this would be like this, your word would echo, not only around these walls just now, but not only on those listening online, but, but in, in our hearts and in our conversations and the way that we live our lives. Lord, remind us that we should expect sin, but that the truth will out, that you, King Jesus, is come, are coming back. So we do pray, come Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name, amen. Well, what an encouraging